I'll be reading from Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have a strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. Thanks. It's it's moments like this where we find out who the uh, locals are, huh? Welcome. You've earned it. Bearing 100 degrees day after day after day. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, right? <laughs> My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Typically, I'm leading the worship, but um, today I'm getting to lead us in preaching. And I might be a little more emotional today, or at least a little more on edge, because we're expecting our first baby, like, really in the next couple weeks. So I'm kind of, I'm, <laughs> I heard someone say, I heard someone say there's no one who's more terrified than uh, a first-time, like, parent. So... I don't know, I, I feel that. So uh, where, where we're at right now is, is in Ephesians, what Tang just read. So if you've got your Bibles, you can, you can start turning there to Ephesians 3. If you don't own a Bible, we want to get one into your hands. Um, we're going to have people kind of come down the aisles. Just raise your hand if you don't have a Bible here today. If you don't own a Bible, uh, this is our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have a Bible that you can read, that you can study, that you can learn, that you can love. Because uh, we believe that the scriptures are the very words of God himself. Also, if you need a Bible in Spanish, just let us know. We can get one of those for you as well. Uh, before we really get into that text, as you guys are really turning there, um, Dave touched on this last week. Paul's been going off on a, on a unique train of thought for the last few verses. In, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul was going to pray, but he was prompted. You can even look and kind of see the parallels in verse 14 versus verse 1. And Paul was prompted to press even more into the reality of the reconciling nature of the gospel. And, and what we mean by that is that through Christ, God is reconciling us to himself and us to one another. In the gospel, which just means good news, there is vertical reconciliation with God and horizontal reconciliation with one another through Christ. And, and this was so important. This was so key, it was so critical that Paul had to stop what he was going to say to make sure the church in Ephesus really gets this. And so we've been really for the last month pressing into this. And it's been good, but it's been hard. <laughs> so now he's back on this original train of thought. He's going back to the prayer. So I think it's appropriate that I would pray as we really get into this. Let me pray for us, guys. God, you are good. Your plan is good. Lord, I thank you even for that song we just sang, that forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, what a Savior. You are wonderful. We praise you. We say hallelujah. We say praise God, for you are Lord of all. Christ, you are risen, and that is the hope we have. Spirit, as you wrote this text, would you give me the ability to communicate it in a way that's helpful for our church today? Lord, would I decrease? Would you increase? And Jesus, would you and your love be put on display in just a way that's beautiful? 
I pray that it'd be helpful for all of us. In your name, amen. Let's get after it. Starting in chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, and, and all the verses are going to be up on the screen as well. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So a couple things. First, this is a prayer, and, and that's important. You, you really get to know what someone cares about. You really get to see kind of what is in their gut, kind of what really gets them going by, by what they pray, by how they pray, by what they pray for. You see someone's heart when they pray. And we're going to see Paul's heart. See, prayer, it reveals us and it exposes us. And before we really dive into this text, there's really got to be a question here, and that's, what do your prayers say about you? Oh, Christian, are, are, are we even praying? And if we are praying, and this is an uncomfortable question to ask, and I don't even want to ask it because it's convicting to me, is when we pray, is it duty, obligation, or is it delight? For me, it's often the former. I don't think I'm alone, right? Like, prayer also reveals what kind of relationship we have with God. Does our prayer life resemble something closer to talking to a stranger or talking to a good father? And, and I'm convinced that until we understand this vertical reconciliation, Dave really hit on this last week, so if you want to press into that more, listen to the sermon online from last week. But if, if we want to, I don't think we can really pray until we understand the vertical reconciliation, the reconciliation we have with God. I don't think we can have a rich prayer life until we go there because I think, I was talking about this as, a, as our redemption community last week, and, and that you could tell like people were really, really kind of going there. But it's impossible to pray to a God who you think is nothing but disappointed, angry, and annoyed with you. I, I just think it's impossible to have a rich relationship with someone that you just think is constantly annoyed with you, frustrated with you, doesn't like you. But the gospel says, look at me, through Christ, God loves you. God likes you. God delights in you. God is not annoyed with us. He is not just in a chronic place of frustration with us. We are delighted in, in Christ. It says the gospel, the good news is that through Christ, God, God adopts us in love as sons and daughters. This was the Father's plan. Christ died and he rose again to accomplish that. And the Spirit is the seal and the security of such good news. And that is good news, that, that Jesus, through him, we are liked, loved, and adopted. Amen? I'm going to be asking for that as we go to make sure we're tracking. And just to even, that we could kind of engage with some of the things that I'm talking about today. Paul's showing us the right posture of prayer. Like on my knees, on our knees, literally and figuratively, on our knees. That's a posture of worship and surrender. It's a posture of reverence and love. And this is, this is, this is how we ought to approach God. He is the only one worthy of such a posture, on our knees. See, God is life itself. In relationship with him is where we find the good life. Surrendered to him is where we find the good life. And I want us to notice something in verse 15. This is not merely an individual prayer, but it's a family prayer. 
And it's a family prayer culminating in God as our Father. And I know for some of us, we, we just got to hit pause when we talk about this. I know we've talked about this a decent amount over the, over the years, but uh, especially if you're new, I, I want to make sure you hear this. Um, for some of us, when we hear God as Father, it, it's a good thing. And there's no baggage. It's just, wow, that, that's, that's great. It's like, it's like my dad, you know, and because and, and, we had good fathers. And I would say, like, praise God. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's, that's my story. I had a good dad who loved me, and, and I don't have baggage when I hear God as father. And I want to say dad's in the room. Let us fight with all we got to make that so for our kids. That when they hear, God the Father loves you, he's a good dad, that your kid would say, oh, like dad. Like, oh, like my dad. And that's not just going to happen. That's going to take a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of intentionality. But for some of us, when we hear God as Father, it just brings up pain. When we hear Father, what we think of is abandonment. We think of abuse, we think of pain, we think of hurt, we think of neglect, we think of someone that just wasn't engaged, we think of someone that was angry and scary. God is the good father that your dad was supposed to look like. God is the good father that your dad was supposed to be like. I want to say, like, Christian, God, the father, he is loving he is kind. He is near. He is engaged. He is present. He is sacrificial. He is loving. And he's good. And he is protector. Christian, that's your father. That's what he's like. And he gives us a name. And that's an identity. And the identity that our father gives us what our Father gives us is an identity of new and loved and chosen and adopted and free. And that's good news. Amen? Our Father is a good Father. So first, this is a prayer, what we're in today. Paul's praying for something. He has an agenda here. We're going to get to that. Second, there's a, there's a context to this prayer. The context of verse 14 is right what came before it, you know, verses 1 through 13. But also the context of this prayer is what came at the end of chapter 2 as well. And what Paul got finished talking about there was this idea that we as the people of God, we're the temple of the Lord, and Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. This is the context of the prayer. Reconciliation, unity in Christ. He's at the center. And this theme, it's all over Ephesians. We've been talking about it. We're going to keep talking about it because Ephesians just keeps, Paul keeps bringing it up. And third, what, what Paul's praying for, we're going to need some power. We're going to need some help. So let's pick it up in verse 16 and hear what Paul is, is talking about. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with what? Power. Let's try it again. Uh, that he may grant you to be strengthened with? Power. There we go. Through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is praying that we would be strengthened through God's Spirit in our inner being. And I don't want you to miss like how present, how active, how engaged, how near, how close, how intimate our God is in our lives. How committed he is to rich relationship with us. It doesn't get any closer than inner being, right? Like, there's nothing closer than inner being. Like, there's nowhere else you can go, right? Now, now, if someone told you, like, a stranger said, I want to get to know you in my inner being. 
Ladies, if you're out on a first date, guys, if you're out on a first date and someone says that to you, get, get on out of there, right? <laughs> now, husbands and wives, I pray we would kind of get to, get to know each other in our inner being, just at a gut level in our bones, that there would be an intimacy and love and trust. But, right, there better be married. There better be a ring on our finger or planning on one, right, to get to know us in our, in our inner being. Um, and I think about how, how committed God is, even as he says that the church is his bride. He's not going anywhere. But, but let's, let's settle in for a second on this, on this idea of power because uh, it's significant. I want to give us some cultural context. Ephesus, um, so Tucson, the people that live there are Tucsonans. Ephesus, the people that live there are Ephesians. So uh, in case you've been confused on that, uh, that's what's going on there. I went to California public school, so I need some help. Uh, get that going on here. I can make fun of, I'm not going to say anything about Arizona, but I'm going to say something about that, right? Uh, Ephesus was the home of the temple to the Greek goddess Artemis. And um, this temple, it was, it was a massive symbol of power and prestige and status and economic success. It was actually one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. And every time we see Paul interacting with Ephesus or the Ephesians, power comes up. We see it in Acts 19. We see it all over in Ephesians, like Paul's going to keep talking about the powers. He's going to keep talking about power. In Acts 19, it's interesting. Um, in Ephesus, God's power was made manifest. And many Ephesians, they actually believed in Jesus. You can go back and read it. And the response of the Ephesians is really interesting. What they do when they surrender to Jesus is they turn around and they burn an enormous amount, like some scholars think millions of dollars in today's currency, of, of, of books dedicated to magic. Which to our modern ears is a little weird. It's like, are they burning Harry Potter? Like, what's going on there? Like, it's a little weird. But, but what magic was, and kind of sorcery and some of these things, was, was a demonic form of acquiring power to try to manipulate and control the gods. And so they, what they do, the Ephesians, when they confront the god of power, they surrender their false power and surrender to the risen king, Jesus Christ. And I say that, and I think it's important to remember that Paul's writing this in prison. In God's economy, in God's kingdom, power looks different than in the kingdom of this world. Come on. In God's kingdom, power looks different than in the kingdom of this world. We need to redefine power. Paul is saying true power is through the Spirit. Paul is, is saying to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with power. For to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with God himself. Paul is saying to the Ephesians, every other spirit, every other demon, every other power, every other principality, every other God, every other temple is a false power and it's submissive to the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same is true today. The power of addiction, of systemic injustice, of demonic powers, of hard hearts, all of this does not have ultimate power. All of it does not have ultimate power for the Spirit has ultimate power and this gives us ultimate hope. Let me explain. If you're struggling with addiction, its chains are not too strong that the Spirit of God could not break. If you are, are struggling with just feeling overwhelmed with the systems and the powers that be and feeling like there's just so much injustice, just so much pain, so much struggle, well, Jesus is Lord of all and he can turn every system on its head. If you're dealing with someone and you're just, man, their heart is hard and it feels like they could just never turn to Jesus, a family member, a friend, someone you care about, a neighbor. God saved Paul. He was out there killing Christians. 
No one's heart is too hard that the Spirit of God cannot soften and mold. I'm not saying all your situations and circumstances are going to change. Paul's still in prison. He's still got chains. Physically, but the chains cosmically have been broken. True power is not in money. It's not in success. It's not in acclaim. It's not in influence. True power is inside of you, Christian. True power is inside of you for the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and gives life to your bodies. What is the mark of true power? Resurrection, oneness, reconciliation, unity in the church, changed lives. That's the fruit of God's kingdom, true power. We tracking with that? The difference between kingdom power and the world's power? So, so verse 17, what it's talking about is, is the Holy Spirit dwelling in Christians. This word, this word dwell, uh, Chris Amaro, he's the lead pastor at Redemption West Mesa. They're a bilingual congregation of the family of Redemption Churches. He said this, this word dwell, it's helpful to think of it kind of like uh, the difference between a hotel and a house. The difference between a hotel and a home. Um, some of you guys have gone on business trips where like, you're, you're staying for a night, maybe two. You bring your duffel bag and you like, you don't really unpack. I don't know how, I, I never use the drawers of hotel rooms. I don't know about you. Like there's, because I'm not dwelling there. Like I'm just staying, get my stuff, get out of here. I'm not redecorating the hotel room, right? Bringing little chat skis and making it feel like home. Like I'm not dwelling. I'm just staying for a second. I'm going to get on out of there, right? Like, but, but dwelling is like moving in to a home. So think of it like this. Think of like uh, a, new, a new married couple moving in to one of their houses. The, the, the band posters are coming off the wall, right? Like things are going to get a little cleaner. Wifey's moving in. Get used to it. Things are going to look different, right? Like uh, I know for me, I had in college this massive, it was absurd, this massive fight club poster like Brad Pitt all bloodied and stuff. And it was like, that was not going to be up in our living room, like when I got married. And I, I, like my life is a lot cleaner, more organized, and better. Uh, I'm not saying every guy's like this, but another one. Uh, there's a guy who's, who's actually getting married soon. And he, uh, I was over at his house, and uh, he was recently dating a girl. And um, they're here in the church. And this guy's like clean. He's neat. He's not like a slob or some like, schmuck or something like that. Like, this guy's a good dude. And he, um, I go into his house, and what's in the dining room is not a dining room table. It's a pool table. And there's only one demographic that has pool tables in their dining room, and it's single guys, right? Like, there's only one demographic. And then we went back to his house a few, like, months later after he got engaged, and the pool table was gone, and there was a dining room table in that thing. And like his living room had matching furniture because there was, there was a woman coming into his life who was, who was dwelling and getting ready to change the space. And what I, what I say is kind of a silly uh, analogy, but the spirit is in the business. God is in the business of taking the proverbial band posters off the wall of our heart. And he's in the business of clearing out the pool tables to bring in dining room tables. What do I mean? He's in the business of convicting us of sin. God's in the business of changing our desires. He's in the business of empowering us to kill sin. He's in the business of, of making us look like Christ. The Spirit isn't just redecorating. He's doing a remodel in our lives, and it's for our good, our flourishing, and our life, and our joy. I got, I got a quote from a guy named John Demeter. He's a pastor up at Redemption Peoria, and he, he says this. I think it's awesome. 
Room by room, he, the Spirit of God, enters and takes down the horrible wallpaper of selfishness and replaces it with new paint called love. The old dark popcorn ceilings of fear and death are torn down and replaced with bright colors of hope in the resurrection of Christ. The filthy old carpets stained with immorality are ripped out and replaced with brand new wood floors of purity and kindness. The broken down furniture of idolatry is gradually thrown away and replaced by new furniture of worshiping Jesus with every area of our life. Christian, God is not our guest he is a permanent resident, and he set up shop in our hearts, in our inner being, and he's changing us to look more like him. That's good news, amen? Some of us, we've seen this in our lives. I pray all of us are seeing it. Notice, though, when Paul prays that the Spirit would dwell in our hearts, he says it's by faith. So, so let me be clear. Um, I talked earlier about God as our Father, about the power the Spirit gives, about this adoption we have in Christ, about the liberation of sin. And all this good news is only possible by faith in Jesus. Look at me. There's no salvation. There's no reconciliation. There's no liberation without the Savior, Reconciler, and Liberator, Jesus. We all got to start with where this prayer Starts, And that's on our knees, surrendered to Jesus. And, and I pray that if you've, you've never done that, if you've never surrendered to Jesus, that you would today and receive all that Christ has for you. I pray that you would. That you'd have rich relationship with Jesus. That you'd love him and serve him all of your days from here forward. And Christians in the room, I pray we'd surrender in new ways to Lord Jesus and that the Spirit would continue to set up shop and dwell in our hearts and that he would continue to change us. See, we can't faithfully live the Christian life without the Spirit's power. We can't be what Paul is praying that we would be without the Spirit's power. So I want to say, church, it's only by the Spirit's power that we can be reconciled to God. It's only by the Spirit's power that we can be reconciled together as well. We're going to need some serious power some spirit power, if we're going to do what Paul's calling us to do, what Paul is praying that we would be, what Paul is praying that we would see. So let's kind of look clearly now, kind of the second half of verse 19 through the end of this text and see what Paul is praying that we would see. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We're going to kind of unpack this as we go. So Paul is praying that we would have power from the Spirit to comprehend the love of God. Love is the goal. Love is the outcome. Love is the result of the power of the Spirit of God, for God is love. Paul is praying that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. And the only way to be rooted and grounded in love is to be rooted and grounded in God. The only way we can do this reconciliation to one another is through being rooted and grounded in God. Guys, let me just be really candid. We can't be this multi-ethnic church. We can't be this tapestry church. We can't be the church in downtown Tucson faithfully for Jesus' glory and the good of the city. We can't live the Christian life faithfully together without being rooted and grounded in love, strengthened by the Spirit of God himself. If we try to do this thing in our own strength, 
we've already lost. Paul's praying we would be rooted and grounded and empowered by the Spirit to do something, to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. Christ's love, it, it is, like I said, it is a comprehensive love. And we're going to actually walk through each of these. Because each aspect of these uh, area of love teaches us something beautiful about it. The Spirit is strengthening us to see this. So one, the breadth of Christ's love. His love is wide. His love is an inclusive love. Jesus calls and loves and is gathering a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, from every background, language, culture, and place, even the ones you don't naturally gravitate towards. <laughs> right? Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' love, it transcends American culture. It transcends modern culture. It transcends Western culture. It transcends majority culture. Jesus' love is wide. It is for all, and it is calling everyone to respond. God's love is wide. Christ's love is long, the length of his love. It is a lasting love. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love is unchanging. His love for you is unchanging. And that is good news because that means on good days, that means on bad days, that means on obedient days, that means on sinful days, that means on hot mess days. Come on. Like, we're, like his love is unchanging towards us. And that's good news. Jesus loves you and his love is not changing for you. He is not going to change his mind. His love will carry you to the end even when you're at the end of yourself. He's there, faithful and lasting. His love is, is wide. His love is long. His love is high. The height of, of Christ's love. It is the love from above. It is unstained. It is pure. It is holy. It is good. It is a right love. In a day and an age where love gets, gets thrown out there so flippantly. I love tacos, right? Like there's just like, there's no weight to it. There's a height to Christ's love. That is distinct from our love. It is an unconditional love. God loves you because he loves you. No qualifications. He freely loves. What a high and set-apart love Christ has. And his love is deep. There is a depth to Christ's love. It is a far-reaching love. Christ's love reaches to the deepest sin, to the deepest shame, to the deepest guilt, and to the deepest pain, and meets us there. Jesus is not saying, get cleaned up, and then you can come to church. Get cleaned up, and get up here, and then I might accept you. Then I might meet you. Get yourself together. What are you doing? Figure it out, and then I might actually listen to you. No. Jesus' love goes as deep as sin has gone. Jesus plunges deeper into the dark, into the pain, into the mess. Jesus' love goes further than our sin. You can say it outruns our sin. As far as sin has gone, Jesus' love goes further. Nothing you have done and nothing that has been done to you stains you. If you are in Christ, surrender to him. His love is good. The breadth of his love is good. The length of his love is good. The height of his love is good. The depth of his love is good. His love is good. Amen, church? 
God's love is so comprehensive. It's so beautiful. It's so rich. And we need the Spirit's empowerment to understand it. Yeah, don't miss this. Let's look at verse 18 and 19 again. That you may have strength to comprehend. Say it with me. With all the saints. Let's say that again. With all the saints. One more time. With all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and another love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? All the saints. Don't miss this. Look at me. You cannot comprehend the love of Christ. You cannot comprehend all the love that Christ has for you and for us. You cannot understand the fullness of God, all the fullness of God, without all of God's people, without all the saints. We need God, and we need God's people. We need each other if we're going to understand this love. And I missed this the first time. Like, until I was prepping for the sermon, I didn't notice the with all the saints. I just jumped to the, to the breadth and length and height and depth. And I was prepping with other redemption pastors. said, this with all the saints is a key. We can't really experience the fullness of God or the full love of Christ without the body, without the church, without a diverse community of men and women, men in the room. If we're going to understand who God is, we need women. We need sisters in Christ. We cannot understand fully who God is if we don't understand femininity, if we don't appreciate it and cherish it, if we don't listen to the women in the room, if we don't learn from them, if we don't hear from them, if they're not shaping our, our faith. Men in the room, we need the women in the room. We need the sisters in the room. Amen? Gals in the room, sisters in Christ, we need you. And also, you need us. There, the masculinity, God created male and female distinct that we might learn from one another, that we, might, that we might grow together, that we might see who God is more clearly in the context of male and female. So men in the room, you're needed. Women in the room, you're needed. Those can't just be interchangeable. Something beautiful and distinct and rich. Young and old. If you're older in the room, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need, we need the, the reality of, of you have faithfully walked with Jesus. Some of you know longer than I've been alive. I need you. Some of you all have suffered well. We need that as an example and a model and a spurring on. We need your anchor to keep us grounded. We need you desperately. And if you're younger in the room, everything from redemption kids all the way up through college students, we need your enthusiasm, your life. You're, you're not cynical. You're, 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 you're optimistic. We need that. We need your energy. We need your faith going wherever God calls you to go. We got some people in the room. We need you. We need all the generations, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, native, all nations, cultures, ethnicities. We need each other. I spent a whole summer in Ephesus, in Turkey. And, and I learned something from my Muslim neighbors about the hospitality of God because all people are made in his image. Now, we went and preached Jesus to them and said, hey, you're reflecting a God you don't know. Turn to Jesus. But I learned something about who God was through my international neighbors. We need every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
We need rich and poor. We need every, every tax bracket to teach us something about contentment, something about generosity. We need every single one of us. We need each other. We can't fully know the love of God on our own. We need each other, church. You need the person sitting next to you, the person sitting behind you, in front of you. Oneness in this type of diversity with all the saints, that's the ones that look like you, with all the people of God. Oneness in this type of diversity demonstrates the power of God to reconcile. It shows the reconciling nature of the gospel. Let me just tell you, if God can unite heaven and earth in Christ, if God can unite heaven and earth in Christ, if God can unite man and God in Christ, then God can unite the church in Christ. Amen? We got to stop selling the power of the gospel short, right? As we're pressing into tapestry, as we're pressing into multi-ethnic church, as we're pressing into multicultural church, as we're pressing more into just what Ephesians is calling us to be, we're preaching Ephesians. We're trying to do it faithfully. As we press into this, as we press into loving all our neighbors, this is welcoming and including that we might be one and understand who God is, that we might comprehend his love for us more fully and completely together so we can share in the great joy of seeing the kingdom of God in our midst. So we can share in the great joy of seeing the fullness of God in our midst. I'll tell you last week when we were saying gospel, Joel and Jenny led me in such a way that I experienced the joy of Christ in a way that I just don't get else, uh, otherwise. There's something beautiful and rich about that. This isn't just about doing this, doing this type of thing and kind of just fighting through. It's about celebrating the joy and participating in the joy of seeing the fullness of God and the kingdom of God at work in our midst. Every single one of you are needed. Look at me. Every single one of you are needed. I'm going to say it again so you don't forget it. Every single one of you are needed. We tracking with that? God is good. His plan is good. Let's go to the last verse, verse 19. So we kind of kind of calm down from that. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I really feel a burden to kind of pastor us through this, this verse. Paul is praying in our relationship with God that we would know his love versus just having a knowledge of it. So what exactly does this mean? Some of us know God like a trivia question. We have a knowledge of his attributes, but we don't know him. You can know my wife Kelsey's birthday. You can know her hometown. You can know her favorite food, just sushi. So a pregnant woman struggling with that. You can know the color of her hair. But you don't know her. 
God is calling us to know him in a way that surpasses knowledge. Paul's talking about an experiential knowledge versus a cognitive knowledge. He's calling us to, to something beyond head knowledge. He's calling us to true knowing. And you can only get this type of knowing in the context of relationship. You only get to know Kelsey by having experiences with her, by spending time with her, by hearing her heart, by building relationship. And hearing God say this is so relational. It's so counterintuitive. God is calling us to rich relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with that. I, I really struggle with that. For me, this is really convicting. At so many levels, I don't get this. In many ways, I struggle to believe that God even wants relationship with me. It goes back to this idea, I don't believe. I'm like a pastor. I'm up here preaching. This message is for me. Like, I struggle to believe that God likes me, that he wants relationship with me, that he's committed to my growth, that he is a good father to me, that he loves me as his son. I struggle to believe that God's plan, what he is so committed to, is this rich relationship with me as his son. That Jesus died to accomplish this. That the spirit is filling me in my inner being. That I might experience this and live out of this. And I know about you, but I struggle to believe that. So I'm just stuck knowing facts about God. But I don't know him. And God wants so much more. (laughs) than this for every single one of you. So the question is, how do we build this type of relationship to experience the fullness of God? Because notice he doesn't say with all the partness of God, with like half of God, like part of my love. You can understand like a quarter of it. You can have like a piece of it. He talks about the fullness. He goes like length, height, breadth, like the fullness of God and his love. Empowered the spirit in our inner being. And I want to tell you, like, there's no magic bullet to this. There's no magic bullet. Talk to him. Cry out to him. Bear your heart to him. Be honest with God. Ask God to give you a desire to build this type of relationship with him. Ask the spirit to empower you to experience his presence in your inner being. In short, pray to God. The way to know God is to hear him speak in his word. And to speak to him and listen to him through prayer. This isn't a formula. This isn't magic. This isn't just rote. Like, but this is the foundation. These means of grace, these means of experiencing God's grace are ways that we can create and cultivate a, a strong foundation of relationship with God. And we, we can also cultivate on top of that foundation through, through serving God. There's going to be an opportunity at the end of the service to come forward and, and start serving here at Redemption. Serving God, by worshiping him. We, we, we structure our services in a way that after we hear the word of God preach, we, we have to respond by singing. There's something about worshiping him that cultivates relationship with him. By remembering him in communion, the same thing. We're going to come forward and take this and remember. By hearing his word preach, we pray every sermon cultivates relationship with God and intimacy with him and understanding of him. We, 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 we can cultivate relationship by seeing his kingdom power in the local church. So in closing, this is only the beginning of the prayer. The prayer doesn't end with verse 19. Next week, we're going to finish the prayer. See the fullness of the prayer. But in these couple of verses, we see Paul's heart, that together we will be filled with the fullness of God. 
which is the completeness of God, the wholeness that comes from God alone. And the result of this, the result of this fullness is oneness with his people. It's knowing the full love of God. It's knowing God himself. It's being strengthened by the Spirit. It's being rooted and grounded in love together as God's people. This is what the fullness of God looks like. So let's pray. (laughs) Let's pray that we would see that beyond right now. Like, let us pray as a church faithfully that we would see that, that we would taste that, that we would experience that, that we would embody that, that we would see that fullness of God here at Redemption Tucson in our midst. Amen? Let me pray for that. God, thank you that you do not just offer part of you. You offer the fullness of you. Thank you that you don't just offer splinters of relationship. You offer rich relationship. Thank you that you do not just offer the spirit to be by our side, but the spirit strengthens us in our inner being. Thank you for your love that is not just high, but it's deep and not just wide, but long. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And thank you, Jesus, that you make this possible through your death and resurrection. Spirit, thank you for filling us. And Father, thank you for your plan. Thank you that you are our good Father. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you now. And all God's people said, amen.